Hello everybody and welcome to episode 6 of For Those About to Pod, We Salute You. On this week's episode, Matt and I will be going through our favourite live albums, our My Year in Rock is 1983, and we'll also be going through our latest news and some hidden gems for you. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and your usual podcasting services. You'll find us on Twitter and you'll find us on Facebook as well. As always, I always like to kick off the show with my partner in podcasting, Mr. Matt Rogers. Happy New Year, Matt, and how are you, mate? Hello, Brian. Happy New Year to you, too. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while since we spoke. But it's nice to catch up. Um, our first one of 2021. It of is course. indeed. Absolutely. Uh, um, which is which is nice. Um, we were talking that that we might be inundated with gigs this year, not being able to do many podcasts. But as yet, that hasn't started to kind of uh, manifest itself. No. So we are here still in our um, in our houses, chatting away. Um, <laughs> looking so forward, <laughs> looking forward to the time when we can do a podcast where we go. And here's a show that we were at that we reviewed. <laughs> mm. Or we do one in person. That'd be fun. We could do it. Do it kind of. You know, in the same room. That would be fantastic. Be yeah, we do. It, we could do it in a pub, maybe. Um. <laughs> with with with, we could do it with a a pub with a live audience. We, hey, that's a good idea. Oh, now you now you talk. Trouble is, we might get heckled because every time we get something wrong, which we tend to do quite regularly, <laughs> some some clever person, no, the, called Dick or Richard, might yes. shout. The right answer. So I like the idea of that. I do like the idea of that. It's a very good idea. Did you just think of that? I just thought of that. Oh, I think that's great. I see. Okay. Okay. Well, we're well, allowed to that try. idea. Well, as the Americans would say, let's put a pin in that one. Okay. Excellent. Uh, for another day. Anyway, so uh, what has caught your eye lately, Brian? In the news. So, um, what was very interesting just before Christmas, the head honcho, Serafino of um, Frontier Records, put a nice little yeah. note out to, to everybody who follows Frontier Records um, just around all of the up-and-coming projects for 2021. And two caught my eye. Number one mm-hmm. is the l- bit of a surprise because I thought this band was done and dusted and, and not recording anymore. Giant. Wow. Uh, Giant are... Uh, slated, I think they, they do. Was they're slating mm. the release, so uh, they're planning to release an album in 2021. I'm um, giant. I'll put some stuff up on the podcast playlist from their first album, which is probably their best, which is Last of the Runaways. Giant, great band. I'm um, fronted by Dan Huff, who played guitar and did the singing. I think I would, uh, I would say Dan Huff is one of those lucky gentlemen who can sound like Lou Graham and plays the guitar like Eddie Van Halen. He was the full package. Mm. Gave up the life. Is he still with them then? No, no. He left. He he went into production. He went into, he lives in, I don't know if he lives in Nashville now, but he ended up being a in-demand producer and guitarist. So he's done a lot of work with Shania Twain. In that that 90s country piece, Dan was probably Mm. your go-to guitarist in Nashville so he he got in in that so he retired from live work but in 2017 Giant got back together for a one-off gig Dan played guitar but they actually brought in a a guy to do the singing Um, and somebody that you and I remember from our days from Kerrang is fronting the band now called Terry Brock so Terry Mm. Brock was in a band called Strange Ways again that melodic rock mid-80s great singer so so Terry uh, fronts Giant these days. They put an album out in 2010 called Promised Land, which is not bad. It's pretty good. It's a, yeah. it's a good mm-hmm. good album. So that's number one. So looking yeah. forward to Giant coming out. The next one, which I thought you might appreciate, which was um, um, mm. a, a muted supergroup with Nathan yeah. James from Inglorious, Michael mm-hmm. Sweet from Striper, and three alumni from Whitesnake, uh, Tommy Aldridge and Drums, Marco Mendoza. Yeah who was in Whitesnake in the early 2000s, and Joel Hoekstra. So the five of mm. them have got together in a yet-unnamed supergroup. Wow. And I think that's going to be... I think that's going to be a bit special, because Michael's a great singer. Nathan James mm. is 
I know you're a big fan of Inglorious. Mm, and yeah. So those are the two releases which have I've gone. Ooh, like, like 2021 could be an interesting year with some new music. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that is that is a real. I mean, that's got real potential. That that lineup, hasn't it? Um, great players there. Great singer in Nathan James, who I've met a couple of times actually. He's a really, he's quite. A, he is a huge character. He's a huge guy. Uh-huh. Uh, you met you met him as well. I think he was, a, he was around <laughs> him. I, I first I first met him actually. He was singing for Uli Roth. Oh really? On, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I, I went up to him afterwards and said, "Wow, man, you got an incredible voice." And he said, "Oh, thanks very much," um, which I thought was very very dignified and very humble of him. Um, and yeah, so that's that's great. I do like Nathan. He's a fantastic, amazing singer. Um, uh, Son of Coverdale. <laughs> he, he is. He's like David Coverdale's, like, you know, the son he never had. Yes. Kind of thing. Uh, that's good. That's very exciting. I'm looking mm. forward to that. Um, that's great. Um, you've perked me up now, you know, you here and there. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, what I'll tell you what, something that caught my eye, which will interest you, because I know you're a big fan of The Boss. I am indeed. As you call him. Yes. Bruce Springsteen. So, Bruce Springsteen, as we know, had a quite successful 2020 with uh, his album, his, his last album. Um, and he has announced that he is uh, looking to go back on the road, which will please huge numbers of people because he is, I've never seen him, I have to be honest, and you've, you've told me how good he is like. But yeah. the, the fact that he is looking to go back out and tour with the E Street Band will be amazing. I think for a lot of fans and a lot of people that, you know, a, a big Bruce Springsteen fans. So, um, yeah, I thought that was good. I thought it was quite an interesting one. Albeit, albeit it's not until next year now, 2022, yeah. for obvious reasons. But, again, something to look forward to, and that will come around fairly quickly. It will do. Um, I, I mean, he, the, yeah. the tickets will probably go on sale on Monday, you know, that sort of thing, <laughs> <laughs> as they often do, you know, £250 each. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I thought that was good. And you like the boss, don't you? We I talked d- about the boss yeah. at length. <laughs> and he still enjoys he he enjoys he enjoys the work he enjoys playing live um i I think i you know i follow a few facebook um pages on the boss and it's it's really funny when you talk we talk to diehard fans and and he'll he'll do like a four and he'll do a four-hour show in helsinki you know and he'll he'll basically play all through the night and mm. and then somebody will go and see him in Germany, and he'll do a three and a half hour show, and um, and people feel shortchanged because they didn't get a four mm. hour show, and you're kind of we're now we we are now um um uh, pretty much set in our we're, we're, the expectations are set of us now that if you get if you go to a stadium show and we we in the rock arena we now get a lot of package you know the package tours where you get three bands. Mm. So yeah. you, we're expecting to see a band for um, one hour, ten minutes, maybe an hour and a half. Yeah, that's what you expect. And the boss, mm. the the Bruce Springsteen, is still willing to put out, a, you know, a, a two and a half, three, four hour show. More power to him. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I, but, yeah. Uh, you, yeah. I mean, uh, we should go. Maybe we should go, shouldn't we? I think we should go. I, um, I say he'll be playing Hyde Park. If you were to say to me. Uh, it would be Hyde Park mm-hmm. next year, or I see Don Glastonbury. I'm not sure. I don't think he has actually. So um, I'm, that would be a good mm. shout if he's not Don Glastonbury. Bruce at Glastonbury next year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go to Glastonbury because I don't really like the idea of it. <laughs> but because um, it's too big. It's, too big. I thought Download was too big. Uh, yeah. And Glastonbury is about ten times the size. So, but no, I, I would like to see him. And you, as you say, Hyde Park would be great because. Uh-huh. It's like an hour from where I live. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> oh well, there you go. But uh, I'll we'll put a b- b- um, boss. We 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 dear, we, we dear do, the boss. Yeah, to our American to to our American listeners, and we do have uh, we do have um, subscribers in America. So welcome to our mm-hmm. uh, to our subscribers and listeners over over in the US of A. Um, if if you've got a way into to the boss in any way at all, um, mm. Matt would like. Matt would like the boss to play in Hyde Park next year because it's handy for him. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Or, or, or Croydon, or Cro- even better. <laughs> but uh, certainly London would be very acceptable. That, well, that, that, that we've, all we've done is we've, we've put our request out through a podcasting mm. land, uh, and, if, mm. and if the Bruce plays in Croydon, 
mm. or in Hyde Park, well, Matt, no, you've, well, no made, you've made it happen. Yeah, exactly. We'll know why. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, anyway, so, <laughs> right. Uh, anything else? Catch your eye, Brian? Uh, well, that's a new Give me a new catchphrase, Brian. Yes. Anything, catch, your catch your eye, Brian. Yeah, catch your eye, Brian. Mm. Uh, the only mm. other thing was just just interesting uh, from a we we talk we were talking about at uh, one of the shows last last year one of our shows last year mm. um, yeah. was how how bands and artists are keeping the money flowing in for their for themselves and for their crew crew and mm. and it's interesting that uh, it seems to be a lot of the the big artists who've got big back back catalogues of material, Lindsay Buckingham and and Bob Dylan and Neil Young, have all sold off stakes in their publishing mm. rights to. Um, I'll probably get the name of the company wrong. Hip, hypnosis. 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 Yeah, yeah. And it's like it seems to be the deals that are being done, Matt. It's like one point two billion pounds worth of rights that have been sold. So there must be some money to be made, and I certainly would like to be a pound behind Neil Young and Bob Dylan for what they've coined in. Uh, and that's so mm. interesting. I was thinking for- about, yeah. And I was thinking about that actually, because you're right. I mean, Bob, Neil, Neil Young, let's use him as an example. He has sold a stake, a share of his uh, 1,180 songs, quite a lot of songs he's written over the years, 1,180 songs. So he shot, he sold a share in that, that catalogue to um, hypnosis for 110 million pounds. So, go. by my reckoning, that they've got to they've got to recoup via royalties and licensing <clears throat> and you know use of it in films and all that sort of stuff. Where, yeah. there, where there is money to be had, of course. Yeah, they've yeah. got to recoup. They've got to recoup 110 million pounds. Yeah, what's that? About 130, 140 million dollars before they break even. Yeah, it's just incredible. Um, and uh, what's Neil yeah. Young going to do with 110 million? That's what I, I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's going to, you know, he's going to treat his 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 crew to like a you know a million dollar each, million dollars each. Who knows? Yeah. But it's a huge amount of money. And it, it rem- when I was reading it, it reminded me a bit of you know you know like your uh, when your 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 folks or your you know your in laws they start giving you chunks of money because they can't <laughs> take it because they can't take it with them or they start spending money. And you say, well, what are you spending? Are you spending my inheritance? And they say, well, yeah. You know, it's our money. We do what we like. And it's a bit like that. They're kind of selling, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know. But can you picture, so let's go back to the licensing thing. Can you picture someone, you know, they, they're using Old Man, which is a great song. Actually, my favourite Neil Young song. Yeah. Old Man on like, you know, E4 daytime advertising. Um <laughs> For I don't know um, funeral arrangements or will writing or something. Can you imagine it? Oh dear goodness. Maybe oh. not. Maybe not. Anyway, so yeah, that's interesting. Well, there's still a lot of money in music. Must um, if 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 a, as yeah, as we know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be good to see what what companies will 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 try to associate you know associate a song, and and that's why I. That's why I I've always thought it was good that uh, Paul McCartney f- fought really hard with Michael Jackson whenever when when Mike, Michael bought the Beatles back catalogue. You know, some songs are bigger than any brand, and I would I, to mm. me it brings. But if it's used in the right context, l- let's hey think about Wrigley Spearmint Gum, and all right mm. now, yeah, you think about whenever th- there was there was a real resurgence in free all right now whenever it was used in that advertising campaign, you know, mm-hmm. not yeah. from, not from maybe you and me, cause we love the song. It's in every single dad rock classic rock album. You know, it's, it's always in there, but if you're mm. somebody who's watching an, an, an ad and you're hearing a cool tune and you're hearing Paul Rogers for the first time on terrestrial mm. telly, they got a new lease of life for that. Well, yes, there, there is that side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Good point. But yes, yeah, so a lot of money sloshing around. Hyp- hypnosis seems to have a lot, of, a lot of money to spend. Clearly, but you know, we'll see how that plays out. It'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting to, as you say, you know, whether we'll start hearing Bob Dylan or Lindsay Buckingham or um, Neil Young in all sorts of strange uh-huh. situations. <laughs> Anyway, we'll see. Okay, that was interesting. Well, some good stuff there. Yes, Thanks for that. Yes, I mean, I'm yeah. Certainly very excited about Giant and this new, as yet unnamed supergroup. 
Yes. With uh, with current and ex member ex current members of White Snake in it should be great. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving swiftly on. moving swiftly on. In, as as we as we as we, as we normally do. As we normally do, uh, our uh, our usual feature of my year in rock, which is actually mm. your year in rock. Okay. Which this time is nineteen eighty three. And I always embarrass you in, uh, when we do our years in rock is to go, so Matt, in 1983, how old were you? Well, uh, that's a good question, actually. And I'm going to think very hard because I, when, I, when you asked me once before, I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you asked me how old I was in 1995 and I was a year out, I was, I was a year out of my age. Uh-huh. Um, in 1983, I turned 18. Um, so I was eight, I was eighteen for the most most of that year because I'm uh-huh. born in April, as you know. Yes. Um, so um, yeah, I was eighteen, and it was quite uh, a funny year. I, yeah, my eighteenth birthday. I can't remember much about it to be honest with you for lots of reasons. Um, I went to the Monsters of Rock Festival in that year. First Donington. time. Second time, okay. actually. Uh, we, maybe we'll talk about that some other time. But that was fun. That was fun. Um, I say fun. I mean, it was it was it was like the song. It was you know, I mean, there was music that interrupted the the, the 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 bottle fights, and then it reverted back to bottle fights when the music had stopped. But um, more about that later, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, nineteen eighty three. Yeah, I've had, I'd look. I actually, as I always do, I I don't think about the albums that I actually bought yeah. in that year, and I even flicked back through my uh, vinyl album collection, which is sitting to my right. You can't see it, but it's over there. Okay. I'll and, take your word for um, it. It's there. So a few albums that I'm going to just quickly talk about, um, really in no particular order. The first one that popped into my head uh, is an album by Y&T called Mean Streak, which was released in um, 83. And uh, a lot of people associate, including you, I know this, uh-huh. associate uh, Y&T with... Um, Summertime Girls, which is a which is a great kind of feel good summer song, but they've done some pretty good rock, you know, solid rock songs and albums over the years. And I first came across them uh, in nineteen eighty two. They supported ACDC on the For Those About to Rock tour, so I saw them at Wembley Arena. And what I couldn't get over was how good Dave Minichetti was a as a singer and b as a lead guitarist. Yeah, you know, because in those days you kind of got one or the other. You know, Angus Young could play, but he didn't sing. David Coverdale could sing, but didn't play, and so on. But um, Dave Menachetti, the, I say, lead singer and lead guitarist, could do both. A bit like you were describing with Dan Hoff earlier, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, yeah, Mean Street, which has got great, some great stuff on it, the title track, Midnight in Tokyo, just just those songs themselves. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a really good, solid album. And it was one of those... Strange situations where, for a change, I stole one, stole that album from my sister, uh, Lena, who's a, a regular listener to the podcast, one of the one of the ten. And um, for a change, <laughs> I pinched it off her. I think she took it back eventually, but before then, I, I did listen to it quite regularly, and I thought it was great. So yeah, my first choice um, is Mean Streak by Y&T. Great. Do you remember that? I do you, indeed. You, I, you and I have seen them together, I think, at a festival with Ramblin' Man. We saw them at Ramblin' Man, and, and I, I must confess, I was in the um, Summertime Girls, um, I think it was about 85 or 86, and that was great, great, mm. feel-good, melodic rock. And it wasn't until I, we'd saw them at Ramblin' Man, and I always remember the track that stands out for me at Ramblin' Man, and I will put this on the Spotify playlist, as well as a track from Mean Streaks, if you don't mind. I'm going to pick um, the track that really cemented me with Y&T as a live outfit was Black Tiger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Black Tiger, which was the album released. When you think about the output, Main Streets was in 83. Black Tiger was in 82. This was a time when bands were putting out albums, you know, pretty regularly. And and when I heard Black Tiger at Ramblin' Man, I thought it was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it is. It's, it's one of their albums, yeah. isn't it? Um so yeah, that's my first choice. Mean Streak by um, Y&T. Y&T. Yesterday Y&T. and Today. Indeed. That's, they shortened it, fortunately, didn't they? Yeah. It was, they started off as Yesterday and Today, um, but they then shortened it to Y&T, which is great. So I like them. I still like them. And I would still, I would urge anyone 
when gigs start again and, and they come back, and it's really only Dave Medichetti now uh, in the band. Sadly, several of the members have passed away over the years. Um, and I would urge people to go and check out YMT um, and, uh, you know, you'll enjoy it, I'm sure. I agree. Uh, next next one, I couldn't leave this off, really, because, again, it's a bit like when we talked about Def Leppard in the context of 1987, um, is Pyromania by Def Leppard, which, again, I think it's one of those albums that, you know, it actually gets better with age. I agree. Yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Or, or do we get better with age? I don't know. But certainly, uh, I look, I, I, I look at it now, and I think, oh wow, there's some absolute corkers on that album. I mean, Photograph. I think you know everyone knows that song. It gets played a lot, and as you said earlier, you know it's on a lot of those, you know, dad rock compilations and so on. <laughs> but there are there are some great songs on that album. You know, Stage Frights on there, uh, Foolin' and uh, Rock Rock to Your Drop, which itself is an absolute, yeah, you know, killer opener to the shows. Yeah that they, they, they did you know, a few years ago. Um, so, yeah, Pyromania, um, produced by Matt Lang, of course, yeah. during his period of production with, uh, with Leopard. Um, and you can tell, can't you? I mean, it's got that kind of Matt Lang sort of style about it, uh, which has really kind of brought to, you know, kind of crystallised finally with uh, Hysteria. But again, you know, just a, just a great... A great rock album, isn't it? And when you when you think about, we go back and we keep mentioning this from time to time uh, around the Friday Rock Show with Tommy Vance, and mm-hmm. I mean you read about it in Kerrang. <clears throat> Def Leppard couldn't sell a record in the UK. You know there no. was you know Pyromania I think sold was a six Pyromania sold six million records, which kept them afloat. Um, on Pyromania, when I look at both Hysteria and Pyromania, it's the construction of the album. As you say, you've got rock, rock to your drop, stage fright. The, the, you can you can listen to Pyromania beginning to end. You can do that with Hysteria. And that's down to the band. And it's also down to Mott Langer from a production and mm. a mixing piece. But you, you couldn't have left Pyromania. Well, you could have left Pyromania out of 83, but I bet you any money if we'd been put, whenever people would have been commenting on the mm. Facebook page, I'm sure there'll be lots of people putting Pyromania in as a, as a, as a classic album of 83. So... Great choice. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I actually, funny enough, you should say that. I saw I saw um, Def Leppard. They were headlining in those days. I saw Def Leppard on the Pyromania tour at Hammersmith and the first time I saw them. And they were great. I mean, they, you know, again, one of those bands that, you know, are, whenever you see them, they're great live. Yeah, yeah. And funny you should say that about the sales. They did, they, the, chart-wise, they got to number two in the US, which again is a humongous market and really was their market in those uh-huh. days, wasn't it? yeah. But only, but only at eighteen in the in the UK, which kind of says it all what, as, as to what you were saying. That yeah. they couldn't they couldn't really make it here, but they were, were, were huge in the US. So um, Pyromania, Def Leppard, uh, again, still a good, still a good album today. Yeah. Um, my next choice, somewhat predictably, because <laughs> as you know, I may have mentioned this once or twice. Uh, Diamond Head is a, probably my favourite band of all time ever. My favourite all-time band of all time, and well, um, well, you are sitting there, you know, just for the just for the listeners who are, you know, listening into the, sh- you know, who are in the show. You, you're not seeing this live, but Matt is sitting there with his diamond head beanie, his diamond head T-shirt, his diamond head hoodie, uh, yep. with his uh, Apple AirPods sponsored by Brian Tatler. You, yeah, you, diamond you, head. You, <laughs> and if they did I, a I beer, did. you would be drinking diamond head beer, double I diamond. Um, indeed. Yeah. All right. I've got a few t-shirts. Sorry, I got, I'm I've, got, I've actually got a beanie as well. Actually, you're right on all those counts. Oh, are you? you know? Sorry. I've got all sorts of paraphernalia. But anyway, yeah. So it's uh, 83. Um, was uh, really, Diamond Head released Canterbury, uh-huh. which is was their which is was which was their third studio album. Um, quite a departure, actually. Is an album. I mean, I like it. Uh, obviously, I, I liked it at the time. Um, I like the, there's a, it's quite a commercial album. They, they kind of turned a corner because they didn't know whether they wanted to be, I remember someone at the time saying Diamond Head, you know, started off as a heavy metal band and now they can't decide whether they want to want to be U2 or Queen. And if you listen to the album, there are lots of different influences, quite proggy stuff. Yeah. Um, in one respect, you've got an, a, the Canterbury, the title track itself, and then some real solid rockers, um, like, uh, making music and, um, Night of the Swords, 
So, but I love it. I mean, it, it, it was, it's, it's a strange album actually, because it was the beginning of the end for Diamond Head. And um, it, uh, it, it's sadly at the time, because it was on vinyl back mm-hmm. in 83, 20, the first 20,000, which is probably pretty much all they sold, came out with a pressing error. So I think a couple of the tracks jumped. Despite whatever you did with putting 50 pence pieces on the middle of the thing, as we used to back in those days, yeah. it still jumped. So that really took the edge off it for a lot of people. And uh, uh, they fired the drummer and the bass player left during the recording and so on. So, yeah, it was a real, it was quite sad for me as a Diamond Head fan. Yeah. I mean, I love the album. I still listen to it. But at the time, it was um, a real watershed for, for Diamond Head. So that's Canterbury. Do you remember that album, Brian? Did that pass you by? That would have passed me by. In, 19, uh, uh, in 1983, Matt, I was, this was my first year of buying records. I was, How old were you in 1983? I was, I was 14. No. I was 14, uh, a babe in arms. In um, Limavadi. In Limavadi. Um, Rolling around in your denim jacket. So that's Canterbury. I won't dwell too much on that, but check it out. I it's will good. do. And if you're doing the Spotify list, Brian, yeah. can I suggest Night of the Swords? by I will which push is, that. Which, which is my favourite song off that album, um, based on a Michael Moorcock book, the same name, by the way, in uh, in true rock star style, Pinching Ideas turning into songs. Um, my next choice, talking of um, influence, in, being influenced by books, of course, Iron Maiden, uh, Peace of Mind, uh, came out in 1983, which to this day Oof. is my favourite Maiden album. Mine too. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's an absolute belters on there. Short and sweet songs, um, The Troopers on there, Flight of Icarus, but some absolute gems. And I think quite overlooked as an album, because everyone gets excited about Number of the Beast. Yes. And then there was, a couple of years later, there was Live After Death and everything. And, you know, of course, we had Maiden's first album, Killers, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but as an album, it's maybe a sort of hidden gem, I suppose, in the, possibly the Maiden catalogue. But I love it. I mean, it's got some great songs in there. To Tame a Land, um, which is based on the June book, the, the uh, by Frank Herbert, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And um, Sun and Steel was on there. You know, some great stuff on there. And it was the first album, I think, and you might correct me on this, where Steve Harris kind of released the, the songwriting to the rest of the band. And I think Dickinson and uh, Smith wrote Revelations. And Nico McRae's first album with the band, of yeah. course. I mean, can't go wrong. Maybe you, in 83. You, you can't. And to be two albums in, when you think Bruce, Bruce joined such a, a purple patch for Maiden with 82 for Number of the Beast. You still had Clive Burr on the drums. You then do Peace of Mind with Nick and McBrain. Like, things like mm. uh, Where Eagles Stare. Still life. Dave Murray doesn't contribute as as prolifically as Adrian Smith and Steve Harris and Bruce Dickinson. But whenever Dave Murray chucks something in, it's usually it's pretty damn good. Um, so mm. as an album, it's it's brilliant. And as you say... They, it's not all Steve Harris is writing, and you can see Bruce and you know Flight of Icarus on that album. I would probably say Flight of Icarus would have been my favorite single off that album. You're in good company because in Kerrang! in 1983, mm-hmm. <laughs> Peace of Mind was actually voted in the top hundred. I think it was the the top albums of all time. Peace of Mind was actually number one. Oh really? And number two was Number of the Beast. So Maiden, oh, really? that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Maiden, wow. so Maiden, uh, Maiden were on a rich, rich vein of form. So yeah, it is a, it is absolutely. I would recommend that as a, as a, as a great piece of work from that, in that era. Yeah. And then finally, and I know you like this album, and, I, and you and I have seen this band a few times. We have ZZ Top, <sighs> Eliminator. I so said I thought it was eighty two, but it, but it was eighty three. And again, you know, we talked about. I think we talked about a few albums that you know, within themselves are kind of almost greatest hits albums. And this is no exception. It's probably the, the you know, the peak for ZZ Top, I would say. The yeah, commercial peak, yeah, certainly. absolutely. But the album itself, you look down the song list, and I was doing that today, I looked down the actual, you know, the vinyls, and there was this, there's, obviously you've got Give Me All Your Lovings on there and the Sharp Dressed Man, but, you know, TV Dinners is on their legs, um, Got Me Under Pressure. You know, there's, it's, it, as I say, it's, a, it's, it's the greatest hits album in itself. And um, yeah, so it was easy as easy top. You know, one of those one of those <sighs> rare bands that have kind of largely kept the same lineup. And I think they've maybe had a few additional members early on, but 
have largely been the same three guys since what 1970 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, just phenomenal. And and again, if you see them live, and I saw them. Funny enough, strange enough, talking about um, Donnie's in '83. I saw them at their festival. It was a strange festival because it had a real eclectic mix. But they were on the bill, and um, yeah, I mean, they probably have their, their stage. Their stage show hasn't changed much since then. You know, very kind of choreographed and the, the rotating guitars and the rest of it. But yeah, so ZZ Top Eliminator. And when you th- yeah, great, great, yeah, absolutely. And do you remember the trailer? You know, you had had the Gimme All Your Lovin' video, and then you, mm. you, you could have watched on MTV Gimme All Your Lovin', then followed straight up by Sharp Dressed Man, and then followed straight into Legs. And you had that sort yeah. of um, ZZ Top trilogy. But one of my favorite tracks, and and it and again, I got into ZZ Top on the on the Eliminator album is I Need You Tonight. Which is a really mm. slow blues, but really, oh, it's just Billy Gibbons at the, you know, and his smoky voice uh, sounded really good. But interestingly, mm. I didn't know, I didn't know that they were on the bill in Donington in '83. By '85, they headlined mm. Donington, and they must have toured. I can imagine they would have been on the road touring Eliminator for quite a significant amount. You think about it. Eliminator came out in 83, Afterburner, which was the new album, which came out in 85, they were mm. probably selling oodles of records on Eliminator, and that's really what got them headliner status for um, for Donington. So, yeah, again, yeah. it's one of those albums where it, it's pretty much a, it's, it's a, it's a greatest hits. No. It is. So that was 83, Brian. Yeah. For me. Yeah. I... I yeah, the more I think about it, I did enjoy that year. So the highlight was um, Donington '83, which I can't remember much about, apart from it being a bit of a war of, of you know bottle fights uh, interrupted by bands playing. And I also saw the Scorpions, and as I said earlier, I saw Def, Def Leppard that year, uh-huh. both at Hammersmith Odeon. So um, yeah, uh, that's '83. Any any recollections for you from that year? <laughs> Um, I, uh, as a fourteen-year-old, uh, mummy and daddy still wouldn't let me go to gigs. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't. Oh. It wasn't until nineteen eighty-four where I can go. I went. To, I was able to go and see a band live. Um, but eighty-three, um, two albums, two albums set out for me in nineteen eighty-three. Um, obviously the first, um, first proper album that I ever bought in cassette, and drove my mum and dad nuts. Um whenever we were on camping holidays and I had my little ghetto blaster and I was playing mm-hmm. um, Thunder Lightning by Thin Lizzy, which is my first proper um, album um, with John Sykes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a special album for me. I know it's Cold Sweat, uh, Baby Please Don't Go, Song Goes Down. Um, mm. and, and to then get to see them on the site. Remember, remember they did Sight and Sound? Yeah, you did, did. Sight and Sound on the BBC with... Pete Drummond. Mm. Pete Drummond was doing yeah. that, and Thin Lizzy did it, and Gary Moore did it, and that was the first time I saw Thin Lizzy live on telly, and I was hooked from then. So Thunder Lightning for me would be an album. The debut release, and again, I'm 14 years of age, so I didn't have mm-hmm. the knowledge that you had about certain bands that were maybe releasing Heaven and Hell in 1980, or he, mm. was, the, he was the lead singer in Rainbow in 1976. So whenever Ronnie James Dio um, dropped Holy Diver, I was like, oh my God, who's this amazing new singer? So Dio's Holy Diver, as much as we would say, back in, I would say Back in Black is the perfect rock album. If you yeah. were to say to me what the perfect metal album is, I would go with Holy Diver. Holy Diver. Good know, choice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Um, Mm. So those are my two yeah. notables for 1983. I would go with, with, with Holy Diver and and obviously Thin Lizzy's. Um, and you, to be fair, um, some of the ones that you've mentioned as well too through yours are are, are ones which I, you know I, I was listening to and had bought in 1980, 1983. But Holy Diver for me was was 1983, and you were you were at Donington and you saw that I was. show. I think it was their first UK UK appearance at Donington '83. I kind of feel it was because obviously it was very early in their career as a band, yeah. featuring on guitar, of course. <laughs> How could we forget? How so could we get it? Cam- Is it my? It's, it's your it's it's your turn. Who who was the guitarist yeah. again? 
it was it was Sir Vivian, of course, Sir Vivian exactly. Campbell. Yeah, uh, the great the great Vivian. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a great album, and uh, still is. I mean, it's, as you say, it's it's one of those that stands up well uh, now. Stand up and shout, and don't talk to strangers, and, and yeah. so on. just some some just classics, really. You know, again, dare I say, kind of the greatest hits in itself. Um, we must stop using that expression. <laughs> right, shall we? We maybe have to do a show on what are the greatest greatest hits albums. <laughs> No, we could that, do, actually. that were actually greatest hits albums, the greatest hits of the greatest hits. Yes. Um, I need to give you an, I need to give you a year, Brian. Oh, you do. I do, and I am going to bring you into the nineties. Okay. I'm going to give you 1992 to talk to us about next time. Oh, that that's an interesting year, ninety two. Well, that's why I chose it. Yeah. Oh, mm. I could get. So, uh, are, you, are you accepting the challenge? I am accepting the challenge of 1992. I will. I will d- desperately go quickly to see which King's X albums were released in 1992. Oh, bloody! <laughs> I'm only joking. I let you. T- I'm only joking. I let you talk about the Lizzie, which we we're not supposed to, mm-hmm. but you know. So fine. Anyway, 1992. Thank back you. Back to you. Um. So, we are we talking hidden gems now? Uh, we can or live go, albums. Let's do live al- albums. Let's talk about live albums. A couple of times over the last few weeks, we occasionally have touched upon live albums. And I think once or twice we said, you know, we should actually talk about live albums and our favourite live albums on a podcast. Yes. So that's what we're doing, isn't it? Yes. We're going to have a little chat about our favourite live And I, I've given it some thought and you've given it some thought. And whatever. We'll just have a sort of throw them out there. I think the thing with live albums is, and we've already we already put it on the um, Facebook page today, and a lot of people come back with their own favourite live albums, um, and a, again an eclectic mix already, yeah. from Frank Zappa to Thin Lizzy, um, Dire Straits, Dire Straits was in there as well, and um, which is great. I think the thing with live albums is, and when we were talking about it, you and I just before we we, we kind of came on air, as it were. Um, at our planning what, meeting. At our planning meeting. <laughs> the thing with live albums is they, they, I think they are an eclectic mix by their, by their very nature, of course. And also they mean different things to different people. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, my favorite live album, and we'll talk about it in a minute, was, is well, one of my favorite live albums, is Unleashed in the East by Judas Priest. Now, when I first listened to it in 1979, I'd never seen Judas Priest. I'd, I'd yeah. really not even heard of them apart from a couple of singles. But I looked at the album cover and thought, wow, look at these guys leather, motorbike, yeah. and everything. You know, I've got to check these guys out. And, you know, it, it's quite evocative in a way. And, and the era of vinyl, with the gatefolds and or the, or the live picture or whatever, you know, it really inspired you to go and see these bands. And, you know, that, that's the way it, it worked to some extent. Um, but, you know, I think you, you touched upon it when we were speaking about it before is that, you know, you, you listen to a live album and if you want to, if you feel like you're at the concert or you want to be at that concert, yeah, then that says it all, doesn't it? Um, so, um, yeah, so live albums, I, you know, I, I remember back in the late 70s, early 80s, there were loads of live albums coming out. And I, and I and it kind of goes back to, I think, Kiss and Peter Frampton were probably responsible because in 75 and 76, they released Kiss Alive and uh, Frampton Comes Alive. And I think and subsequent to then, there were lots of live albums released. Everyone thought, well, this is great, you know, gives us a break from recording, we could pick up some more songs. Um, we can get this out and you know maybe promote people to come and see us and so on. So it's a great it's a great tool in one in one respect or in that respect. So um, I, yeah, you- there's loads to choose from. Yeah, it was it was kind of rich pickings back in the late seventies, and I went through a period of buying a lot of live albums and a few that stand out. Um, I mentioned Strangers of the Night a lot. The Strangers of the Night by UFO. We were just, we talked about that last time. I won't dwell on that. Again, one of my favourite live albums, and it was really a you know, to your point was probably, you know, a, a real boost for, for UFO as a band and then yeah. led them on to uh, their the kind of success in the early eighties. Um, and that was itself is probably the, 
the, the, the, the a the most famous album be that probably the best-selling album strangers in the night mm. um Unleashed in the East by Judas Priest again was was my introduction to Judas Priest, and again um, I, I still listen to it to this day, even though it's forty one odd years old. Um, I I played it to death at the time, um, and uh, you know it's just one of those albums that stands up really well. Very exciting. Recorded most of it in Japan. There were there was as was the case and probably still is the case with live albums, quite a lot of um, overdubbing and tidying up and so on. <laughs> um, but we won't go, go into that. But as a, as a live album, it, it's great. Yeah. And um, so that's that was that was one that caught my eye, or that I remembered rather. Yeah. Um, out of the same, of the same era, uh, All the World's a Stage by Rush. Again, I think to your point, Rush had gone through that period in the sort of early to mid-70s where, you know, they kind of were ebbing and flowing in terms of success. 21-12 against all the odds in 76, I think it was released, um, was was a, was a success as a concept yeah. album. And All the World's a Stage kind of built around that Rush album being 21-12 uh, being played live. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, 20, um, All the World's a Stage very much of its time recorded in Canada, a hometown gig for Rush. It, it really didn't didn't get much better for them. Um, but quite yeah, an sorry. but quite an iconic. I, I with some great live albums, you have some great live covers in the and mm. and, and when, whenever you say all the world's a stage, you know, in, in terms of all the world's a stage, I can straight away see the album cover. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and and I've I've never I, I do not own on least in the East by Just Priest, but I know mm. the cover of that album. It's a it's it's uh, and I and I it's when you've got a great live album or an interesting live cover, and then it backs it up with the product as well too. You kind of go, well, there you go, and it's the best. It's the best advert for a band mm. to say, well, here's a live album, um, come and see us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then finally, um, just one that, again, I still listen to, and again, it's one of my favourite live albums, also recorded in Japan, uh-huh. as was the case quite often with live albums. <laughs> if you think about it, with Purple and Oh, Chitri. no, no. Well, well, okay, yeah, there's one. And obviously Priest. There's one, well, sorry sorry to digress, but there's there sometimes Japan and the recording of a live album can be a double-edged sword. And mm. I have, I have, I have got two. I've got two albums from one band, which which catalogues a band at its uh, at its prime, and we're talking about Deep Purple's Made in Japan, yeah. which is Mark II at its finest. And unfortunately, um, and this person shall remain nameless, but they gave it and gifted it to me many many years ago on vinyl. It's Deep Purple Mark IV's last concert in Japan. With Tommy Bolan, oh right, and that is the album where Tommy Bolan, bless him, had his uh, where he basically they had to restring the guitar in open tuning so that he played it. Um, he was he he'd, he'd had a problem with his arm. That's all we'll say. We had a problem oh, with his true. arm, and and they basically tuned his guitar to an open chord, and he basically moved his finger up and down to play it. Basically, John Lord did Tommy Bolan's job that night. I have that mm. album, and if you, and it's one where you go, I can't listen to it because it's just it's the demise of a. It's the it's mm. chronal. It's it's basically cataloging the demise of what was once an amazing band. But hey ho, yeah. Sorry, I, I yeah. interrupted you. No, that's fine. And I was just going to mention one night in one night at Budokan by Michael Schenker Group, which again. Uh, it must be nearly 40 years old now, but um, again, well worth a listen. Capturing Michael, the Michael Schenker group is their peak. Uh, Cozy Powell on drums, Paul Raymond, <laughs> obviously Schenker himself, Chris Glenn, and um, Gary Barden. So, yeah, uh, those are my kind of top three or four. It'll probably change if they ask me tomorrow, Brian. To be um, how about you? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm just going to say this for the listen, for just for the listeners, is when when Matt and I were pulling together the the idea of live albums, um, I I actually was up at 24, so the show the the show could have been lasting six hours, but but Matt said, 
right, we need to get it down to your top three. So, um, mm. and we, um, and so there, all I'm saying is that over the years, there's been some amazing live, uh, live albums that have come out. So for me, the first album, um, the first album on my list, which is probably my favorite live album is Live in the Hardest City by Whitesnake. 1980 probably catalogs the band at their, uh, it's the ready and willing lineup. It's the, it's the, you know, three me- three ex-members of Purple, Ian Pace, John Lord, David Coverdale, mm-hmm. with, yeah. uh, you know, Mickey Moody, Bernie Marsden, and uh, Neil Murray, who I always call mm. a nice, nice, quiet Englishman, but you might quite... Yeah. Is, is he an Englishman? Is he? Uh, tell tell us Scottish. in the comments. He's Scottish. Okay. But but to, to me, um, a, a, great, a great live album has got to be something that... Um, if you put the album on, you turn the lights off. I genuinely felt I was at, I was in the Hammersmith Odeon. And it's the fact that they keep in all of the chat um, and it just feels live and the band sounded great. Um, and you get a good live feel. So live, live in the hardest city is, is a good point in time for Whitesnake for me. Yeah. It's been released and, and, and it's got some purple material in it as well too. And it's nice. Some of that material might just take your life, mistreated. They they made it white snake. They made it bluesy. They made it and 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 it worked. And Bernie Marsden is you know covering some of Glenn Hughes's parts, and it, and it really worked as a band. Um, so my first live al- my first choice of a great live album would be Live in the Heart City. And the track that I'm going to put on on the Spotify playlist would be Ain't Gonna Cry No More because I think that just uh, just catalogs the. What a great band they sound! The keyboards, yeah, Coverdale's mm. singing high range when he needs to. It's really good. So that's my number one. My second Excellent. second choice um, is uh, it's an album from nineteen ninety two ninety three. I thought I'll move it move it up, and this is a band that I think um, <laughs> this is a band who I think really had a hard time live with their um, original singer in terms of Mr. David Lee Roth. So I don't think, you know, Van Halen never put any live product out while Dave was in the band. No. Um, and they obviously did it with the live at the Tokyo Dome in 2000, and, you know, in, in the late 2000s. But if you want to hear, again, a band in a, in a, a Norma Dome in America at the top of their powers, I, I would say give... Um, Van Halen live right here right now which is the double album engineered and produced by Andy Jones but it is it is basically Van Halen or Van Hagar whatever you want to call it at the peak of their powers you've got Pound Cake you've got covers of Won't Get Fooled Again but the production value on that album you've they, you know Eddie plays a guitar solo um, there's a little bit of acoustic with Sammy you even hear some of the chat that Sammy has with the audience where where, where I can remember somebody's trying to uh, advertise a bar. You know, he's, he's trying to give a T-shirt or something up and please, please, I know, um, uh, come to our bar after the show. It's just a great live album, which again, I f- when I stuck it on in CD, I'm going, that captures that captures Van Halen live. Mm. And, and that, that really... I I just I can't recommend it highly enough as a as a great band who often got slated for, for you know when when Dave was in the band you know mm. um, Dave's a showman is he a singer when D- you said I remember I always remember you saying when we talked about Van Halen and Van Hagar and in our first episode Van Halen moved up uh, in professionalism and performance wise. And that's captured mm. in in right here, right now, which is dub album. Go and check it out, people. It is brilliant. If you were to pick a track, Matt, off that album, which one would you pick? I, you mentioned Pound Cake earlier. I love that song. Yeah. Um. So, because I, I, I love that album from North for kind of knowledge. So, yeah. I would say, uh, yeah, Pound Cake or maybe Top of the World. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's. As you say, great album, and it didn't rely too much on the on the kind of early Van Halen catalog, did it? Um, no, you get Panama from, and Jump in it, mm, but, but yeah, they yeah, good choice. Uh, good and, choice. My, and my final choice, which is an album which I, um, I'm not sure if it's still available. I think you can buy it 
on, um, you maybe buy it through um, Thunder's online store. Um, c- certainly, you, you can't, st- I don't think we'll be able to stream it for you people, so I'll have to pick another track um, from this band live. But my final album um, uh, of the three, again, it made me feel like I was in the room, which was um, which was Thunder Live. It was released in 1998. It was when Thunder were in 98. They were kind of winding up the band, um, and they were they they recorded four nights. I think they did four nights in the Wolfram Hall. And basically, if you, it's a double live albums, um, and I really got a sense of good feel for the band. There's some acoustic stuff on it. And Thunder were, it's one of these things where you're cataloging a band, you're, you're cataloging a band who's just about to finish up and they put out a live album and you're going, what a way to go out. So it's a double album. Um, I remember mm. getting it and I, I just, the, the second track in the album, um, uh, or, Welcome to the Party is the opening track. And then I think the second track is Higher Ground. Yeah, and and the way in which the band, you know, the band start off with a little intro. Danny, Danny then introduces the evening, has a bit chat. You can hear the crowd, and then they just they just punch in with higher ground. And I I genuinely felt I was there. Um, so it probably won't make it. It, it won't make the Rolling Stone hundred best live albums, and it's not going to be up there with Live and Dangerous, and you know. The Allman Brothers live at the Fillmore, mm. but for my criteria of a live of a live album is I wish I'd seen Thunder on that tour. I'd wish I'd seen Van Halen on that tour. I wish mm. I'd seen Whitesnake, and that to me is is if a live album can ca- can capture when a band was and make me feel I was at the gig and I really wanted to be, then the live album works for me. So that's my three um, in terms right. of album. Yeah, good choices, Brian. Yeah, some great choices there. And and as we said, uh, you know, we probably if we had this conversation tomorrow, we'd probably come up with, come up with another few uh, into the bargain. But there some great choices there, my friend. There we go. So we're coming to the uh, coming to the, um, mm. the back end of the show, and we always like to finish That's gone off quickly. That's gone quick, hasn't it? Don't you think it's gone quick? I think it has. I, I, it yeah. ha- it's a, for the first one for the year. Mm. First one for the year. The, so we're going to finish off in hidden gems. We are indeed. I think. Um, and uh, do you want me to go first? Uh, that, I go first? Uh, I'll uh, I'll go first. Okay, I'll go first. So I'm After gonna, you, I, I, So my hidden gem this time, and usually we pick either an album or a song, or you know. Um, so my hidden gem is going to be a person. So I'm going to kick this off with a quiz question for you, Matthew. Mm. So in 1985-86, in the mid, oh, let's let's in the mid 80s, Robert Palmer released his um, uh, album Riptide, and the big single off um, Riptide was it was uh, addicted to love, Brian. Of course, it's addicted to love. It was indeed <laughs> um, no prompting at all. Um, <laughs> the stunt guitar player, famous guitar player who played in a um, an 80s band. Um, mm-hmm. Played. Who can you guess? Who the lead guitarist was, in on Robert Palmer's single for "Addicted to Love." Addicted to Love. Um, I'm thinking. Uh, was this? No, it wasn't Steve Lukather, was it? No, 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 no. He was. He played. Uh, he was on Michael Jackson stuff, wasn't he? He was on Michael Jackson stuff. Um, I don't. I don't know. Okay, so it was Andy Taylor. From Duran Duran. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So my hidden gem this week, or for this episode, is Andy Taylor. And the reason why I'm picking Andy Taylor is Andy's been out of the music business for the last 10 years, and he's just coming back with some new material. Again, COVID-19 and best laid plans. He was actually, um, um, had released some material 2019, and was actually out on and doing some shows with the guys from Reef. So he was he was putting himself back out again. So my hidden gem albums this week are, are both associated with Andy Taylor. It, the first one is his first solo album that he released in '87, which is an album called Thunder, um, and the lead-off single on that was a single called I Might Lie. He recorded it with Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. 
It's a real good stomping rock album, and you will be surprised how good he's a very good guitarist, but how good a singer Andy Taylor is. So check out mm. Thunder by Andy Taylor. And straight after that, after he'd toured that album, he then went into the studio and co-wrote Rod Stewart's album, Out of Order, um, which is a great rockin' album. I know Rod, Rod in his later career does the ballads and the American Songbook and, is go, you know, he's an amazing voice. But his rock album of the 80s, um, and uh, which was Out of Order, um, is one to check out. There's... Wild Horses, Lost in You, fantastic album. So my hidden gem uh, is Andy Taylor. Check out his work with Rod Stewart on Out of Art, Out of Order and check out his solo album, which is called Thunder. And for you, young man, what's your hidden gem for this episode for everybody? Um, well, I am going to go with a live album, actually. Surprisingly enough... <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about live albums earlier, but um, we haven't talked too much about Journey as a band, and um, so I thought I'd uh, rectify that issue. And I'm going to go with uh, a live album that Journey put out in the I think it's about '81. It was accompanied by a live film, so you can find the live version of this uh, album probably on YouTube. Okay, and. It's um, Journey's um, a live album, Live in Houston, 81, on the Escape Tour. So that's my hidden gem. Oh. Uh, uh, do you know it? Do you know oh, it? Oh, man. What? I, do you know what? Ladies and gentlemen, it, it's, it, sometimes it's lovely to be trumped. Trumped ostensibly when somebody, when you pick Andy Taylor... And and your co-host comes in with Journey's live album from 1981 on the Escape Tour. I I doffed my hat to you, my friend. That is just that. Oh, sorry, this is your this is your album. You tell you talk. Go for it. No, no, no. Go for it. No, no. Um, I, 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 that is that is so, oh, it just brings back so memory. When you talk about an album, Escape again. It's so great, um, and to have it catalogued and chronicled in that Houston album, uh, that Houston album is great. Mm. They're they're great live. The, you know, mm. uh, no, it's, oh oh wow! I don't know which tracks I'm going to choose. <laughs> I I'll give you I'll give you one I'll give you Line of Fire. Um, oh yes, is uh, well you get, it kind of blends in quite nicely with the with the. Um, with Escape the song into Line of Fire. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I remember watching it on TV, late night TV at the time and thought, wow, this is just great. And uh, I still do. I've got it on DVD. Um, I've got the live album, you know, CD and so on. Um, Did you ever so get to see them? Gem. Did you ever get to see Journey no, with, with I, Steve Perry? No, 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 I didn't, I'm afraid. Um Again, it's one of those regret, quite a regret, actually. I would have liked to. Yeah. I don't think they particularly toured the UK that often um, during Steve Perry's time. Yeah. With because he's moved on now, of course. Um, so no, I, know, I never got to saw, never got to saw him. Never, I never got to see them rather. So, um, but yeah, I would recommend that's my hidden gem for this week. Oh. Uh, live in Houston, 1981, Journey on the Escape Tour, and with that. My friend, you all right? Are you still stunned by that? Uh, I, uh, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, uh, it's one of those ones where um, I'm, I, I genuinely, I'm going to dig out. I, it's one of, I haven't listened to Journey in such a long time. And ironically, Matt, if you don't mind me saying, when I was thinking about a hidden gem album for this evening, I actually was toying with putting in Bad English's first album. With, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So I, I was thinking about journey-ish type things and you've just trumped mm -hmm. me with that album that's a great so what a great way to sign off our first show for 2021 indeed um, always good to catch up with you mate um you too my friend and you we too. will uh we shall speak in a couple of weeks so um it's a, a goodbye from me 
And it's a goodbye from him. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch up soon. Cheers, Brian. All right. Cheers, Matt. See you later. Bye now. For those about to pod, we salute you. Is a Mealy Rogers Media Production. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. We'll see you next time.